What's up, guys? This is Margin Call Media, where money's made, but mostly lost. Thank you for tuning in, and let's get liquidated, baby. Good morning, everybody. I am Nate. And I'm Brian. And this is Margin Call Media. Today is September the 29th, and today we are talking Airbnb. We're talking San Francisco Fall Apart. We're talking uh, Robin Hood traders are actually doing better than... A lot market. of the people who are actually in the market and a lot of the active traders, uh, shout out Robinhood guys, and we'll probably end up talking about the stimulus round two. We got a lot of good news on that last night, and we'll see how that affects the market today, how that affects everything else. Uh, I think we're going to start off, though, talking mostly about the Airbnbs. Um, we've been excited for the Airbnb IPO for a while. We've been talking about it. We talked about it at the very beginning of the podcast, I think. And we're probably going to keep talking about it more and more. We love Airbnb. Me and Brian both love real estate. We love the idea behind it and everything that it, it presents. Um, so one of the things that have been interesting with 2020 and, and the pandemic is uh, once everything shut down, Airbnb was one of the hardest hit uh, companies around. So they, they had a valuation pre-pandemic of $31 billion. And by the end of or by the beginning of summer, midsummer, they were down to $18 billion. So they almost lost half of their value in a couple a couple of months. And obviously there's obvious reasons for that, but that's wild to see this company that just exploded and has been taking off nonstop that everyone thought there's no stopping this was just completely shut down. Yeah, and I thought people try to people try to categorize them like they were a WeWork, right? They tried mm -hmm. to categorize WeWork and Airbnb together, which is completely wrong, right? So Airbnb is going to be just straight hospitality and people traveling. It's a, it's a hotel. Yeah, it's a, it's pretty much a hotel. And WeWork is office space rentals. So, I mean, I think Airbnb long term is is great. I love Airbnb almost. I mean, there, there's a few companies out there that I absolutely love, you know, Amazon, Airbnb, Apple, you know, just being a few of them. And I think Airbnb is going to continue to grow after this because people like the ease of it. They like being able to have a full house when they go somewhere. They like having their own space, you know, um, the cost is relatively affordable compared to some hotels. So I think Airbnb is going to continue to grow. Um, yeah, and, and you don't have to be stuck right in like most of the time hotels are squeezed right into the tourist destination. So I mean, you just feel like you're you get there and you're like, well, I'm just stuck here, cramped, and I can walk around, but I'm like, not there's no way for me to drive, you know, there's no way for me to like explore the town. I'm only seeing one part of the city. Uh, that's the hard thing about hotels. There's, it's and it's hard to pay for a good one. If you want to get in a good spot, you're going to pay a ton of money for it. Whereas an Airbnb, you can find good spots that are that are pretty cheap relatively. Well, and it kind of goes back to a lot of people when they travel, right? They want to be able to now have their own food and cook their own food rather than eat out every single day, especially if, I mean, if you're gone for like a month, you don't want to eat out every single day for a month. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, yeah, it might be cool to try a, a couple local restaurants and stuff, but for the most part, you kind of want to start a cook at home. So Airbnb is nice. 
to be able to cook your own food, to get your own space, especially for people that have kids, right? If you have a kid, a little baby, you don't want to be in a hotel. Yeah. That sucks. You yeah. you want you want the you want the Airbnb so you could stick the kid in one room and let him sleep or him or her sleep and then go make your coffee and make your breakfast in another room while that kid's sleeping. You don't mm-hmm. have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. So I think especially young parents love Airbnb. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's been an interesting trend. Uh, we're looking at some some statistics that came out today uh, of in just in June this year, their change from usually Airbnb, you think of Airbnb as a rural or not, or an urban center. Like you think, oh my gosh, all of these places that are big cities that people want to go to, that's where all the Airbnbs are. And that's generally true. Uh, there, there's definitely more Airbnbs here than if you went out in the middle of Arkansas, you know, and it's been a huge shift because of the pandemic and because of all the people who are no longer working at the office and they're saying, well, I can work remote and I don't want to be stuck in my, in my house for, I've been stuck in my house for six months. I want to kind of get somewhere. I want to go do something else. And so a lot of people have been going, well, if I go somewhere rural where there's not a lot of stuff, it's probably not going to be as closed down and I'll probably be a little bit safer and I can get out of town and, and find an Airbnb out, Airbnb out there for a month or two, you know, and exactly. probably going to be cheaper than staying in a, in an urban area. And you get to enjoy this different part of the world and, and different things. And, and I think we've seen that in San Francisco, like there's a lot of stuff that's correlating here, especially in the real estate market. So in San Francisco, the median home sale price is down to 1.4 million, which is still insane. If you think about it, that's insane. Yeah. Uh, but that's all the way down. We haven't seen that since February of 2019. So that's a whole year and a half, almost two years now of growth that has just been wiped out and, now you're all the way back down to the February 2019 levels. And it's interesting to see because you've got this move to rural and you've got all these people in heavily urban San Francisco. And now they're all like, well, well I don't have to be here. I can go somewhere else. Prices exactly. are way cheaper. Why would I stay here? You know? And so we're, we're seeing that kind of mix, unfortunately for California at least, is a lot of people said, I still kind of want to stay close to work, but I don't need to be in San Francisco. So they moved out into rural Sacramento. Cal- yeah. Things like and that. That's yeah. all burned down. So, so we are, we're getting a little bit of the climate saying no, no, no. Well, generally too, if you, so if you're, if kind of go back to the family point, if you have a family, um, it's going to be better for you to be in rural, rural areas, you know, schools are generally better. Um, mm-hmm. there's more space, mm-hmm. so uh, co- job, cost yeah. of living is cheaper, you know? So if, if you don't have to go into work every day, a lot of those people that can now go work remote, why, why live in the city? Why live on top of each other? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's funny because I remember talking to, um, you about this a couple months ago, like back in April, I said, you know what? doesn't look like I'm probably going to have to go back into work. So why not just live in a more suburban area? And mm-hmm. so I, that's when I started looking out there. But I started noticing prices go up and up and up and up. And people were, it was, homes were going within hours. Where if you looked in the city at condos, condos were on the market for months, months. So that was interesting to see. Yeah. Did you notice that too? Yeah. I mean, it's even at some of our condos in Coronado, I'm, I mean, it's interesting. 
because I, I looked at this and I think we talked about this one of the first podcasts of the price ranges that we're selling and anything above like 1.5 million was still selling the same as it was before, you know, maybe taking like a month or so, two months to actually sell and to, to get under contract. Uh, but the price range that was affected the most was the 800 to $1.2 million range, which a lot of the condos downtown, if you start getting nicer condos, a lot of condos in Coronado are in that range. And they were sitting there because you had this weird divide where ultra wealthy people, they can throw $2 million in a, in a condo and be like, yeah, I'm doing this all cash. This is just pocket change. I'm fine. Right. And then you've got people who can't quite afford something and they're going to buy a house that's hopefully around 700. That's like a median, like 650, somewhere in there. Right. But then you've got this strange range during the pandemic time of that 800 to 1.2 million, where those people have probably taken a big cut in their pay or they have a cut in their work hours. They, they're not really sure what they're going to do next. They're not looking actively to buy. They're more concerned with, shoot, I'm still trying to like maintain this, this lifestyle, I'm still trying to maintain this uh, amount of money that I have. I'm probably living somewhere where my rent's a little bit higher because I make more money. I probably have a little bit nicer car because I make more money. And they're now sitting there with, uh-oh, I got to make sure I, I'm saving a little bit and I need to make sure I have some some capital and I need to make sure I have some savings here. And now that price range of those homes, that's why you're seeing those all sit on the market and not move, right? Because all those buyers have other concerns where they're not they're not sitting there like the average person and i think it's fascinating to me all the little things that that add up in real estate of why certain parts of the market don't move why certain parts of the market go down why certain parts of the market are get eliminated almost and something else replaces it because of economic conditions i'm still so interested to see what happens with the commercial because oh, me too. There, there's i mean not not so much Apartments are always going to need to be rented um, in terms of restaurant and dining, always going to be needed. Mm -hmm. Well, we kind of saw it during COVID. I, I suppose it's there's going to be a need. Let's just say that. Um, however, office space, so many companies have, have said they don't want to go. They, don't, they won't go back like they did before. And... I mean, for example, there's a, there's this building. I think I've I've shared it once on yeah. the podcast. It's right down the street. That thing is it's still empty. It's brand new. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. No company has claimed that. Yeah, guys, just sitting on a lemon. That sucks. Yeah, that sucks so bad. And it, dude, it's I mean, that's easily easily a twenty twenty million dollar building. What, yeah. Thirty. Yeah. Because of the land, yeah. probably thirty because of the land. Yeah. That sucks. That's, That's brutal. so shitty. That's brutal. Um, I think, what, what did you have? You wanted to talk Robinhood? Yeah, dude. We so we found out. That um, <laughs> Warren Buffett, you've been wrong. No. Um, turns out Robinhood Raiders, uh, traders, Raiders, oof, they'd be losing then. Um, Robinhood <laughs> traders have uh, actually been outperforming the market. So there's an interesting fact that came out, 71% of ETFs have, or equity funds, I should say, equity funds, my bad, 71% of equity funds have underperformed their benchmark where Robinhood traders are actually outperforming 
the Wall Street pros. And this is according to the Robinhood track. So this is a a company, uh, what's it, Welch Data, who collected all the data on the trades and the positions that long-term people had in the Robinhood accounts. Um, And then they took that and compared it to what the large funds actually, yeah, those people actually have in their their portfolios. And lo and behold, (laughs) the Robinhood guys are actually doing pretty well. Yeah. I don't know if we we qualify as, as that spot or definitely or not, not. Probably not. I'm a, I'm on a PDT, so definitely yeah. Not. <laughs> you know what? And this kind of goes back to what I was saying before. And love Warren Buffett. Huge fan of you know dropping money into the S and P at the same every every month, the same amount, you know, and and just letting that grow. However, like compounded compound its way up. However. The only thing I, I don't think Warren quite understands fully yet is all of the tools and resources out there to be able to day trade now. I mean, you gotta remember this guy grew up back when you bought you bought paper on a stock. Like you bought your stock on a paper. You yeah, know, you had to call the guy and then he had to make the trade and he had to call the guy to make the trade and then that guy had to make the trade and then call you and say, Look, I did it and then you go Oh, sort of move five dollars exactly. <laughs> like, oh my god, I missed out exactly. So, but now everything is so automated, there's so many ways you could kind of watch a stock and, and trade it that I I don't think he's quite right on that yet. And I don't think he fully understands, like, yeah. hey, yeah. you can go on there and use all these tools to be able to day trade, yeah. And I, I think that's why a lot of these people are out. People can make a career out of it if you get it right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, kind of going back, I sorry, I want to touch on this a little bit of a side here. Uh, but one of my acquaintances, I'll say, um, they, this is back maybe 20, 30 years ago. This is, this is your acquaintance 30 early, years ago? Not mine. So it's an acquaintance that I know. And this is them. They're way older. Uh, this is when they were like a young person. Uh, working for uh, this company and what they would do is they would do some sort of like the guy would hire them to do a little bit of work or something like hey go sweep this guy's thing or go clean this stuff right and then he was a stockbroker like the guy who hired him to do the work for other people was a stockbroker and so he would pay him and he'd be like oh you're gonna get paid like a hundred bucks or something and so he would go to uh, like look at companies overnight and th- see things that moved a lot overnight. So let's say something moved like 30% overnight. And then he would call the next morning and say, hi, I made a trade at like 458. It, I don't, maybe no one was there, but it was at this price. It was like, like $200. Um, could, could you like fulfill the trade at that price of what it was yesterday? And they would go ahead and fulfill it at the yesterday's price. Right. Because he would just say that, yeah, that's what I did. That's where, where we traded it at. And then he would make that 20% instantly. And then he would sell it right away. And then he would pay uh, this guy out of that. And so he would, so he'd just say, just, just wait a week or two and you'll have money in your account. And then so he would pay him like that. And then he would just take the profit. Right. And so he was doing it with maybe $2,000 or $1,000 at the time. And over time, he was just making 20% on every single trade. 
And then just saying that, oh, yeah, I called in the night before on this raid, and this is the way they did it. And no one was checking. And no one said a thing. They were just like, oh, okay, sounds good. And they would just buy the shares at the price he said it was. And then and at the quoted price, he'd give him a quoted price, and they'd, they'd buy it at that. And then he would sell it immediately. And so he'd make 10 20% each time. He eventually went to jail, but... I was going to say, dude, I feel for like... For the longest... Yeah, yeah, I guess he did it for, like five years in a row, just kept doing that every day, like every week. You just make trades like that and just say, oh yeah, I did this yesterday. And then eventually got caught. So I was gonna don't say, be a criminal. I was going to say, dude, it had to be harder than that. That seems way too easy. Oh yeah, it sounds too easy. But I think during the, back in the day, I don't think you really had, who was going to check, right? Yeah, I just think though now there's so many tools and resources that allow people to be able to make those trades every day and yeah, be able to yeah, profit yeah. off day, day trades and stuff that honestly, I think if you spend a solid year or two trying to create a strategy, you'll be successful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more, it's more how much money do you have to lose before you learn? Mm-hmm. I think is what it's about. Yeah. And that's why we talk about like your risk tolerance and, and, setting stop losses and that type of stuff, especially on like our YouTube channel. That's part of what we were just talking about in the new video that's going to be coming out is if you can mitigate those losses and prevent yourself from losing 12%, 20% per trade, you know, if you, if you start getting in a, in a rough, rough patch, then you're going to last a lot longer and you're going to be able to learn from those mistakes and learn from those trades and hopefully be able to make smarter trades and still have your cash, right? To be able to go ahead and create a different it, strategy. Yeah, and, and then test it out. And, and that's all trading really is, is just testing strategies and seeing what works. Um, you, If that's if you want to be a successful trader, I think, if you just want to be a gambler, then yeah, you just say, I like this, I want this, I want this, and you just throw money at it and hope. Uh, but I think definitely there is opportunity if you do take a little bit of time to try to learn and make some strategy. Um, I think, and I think, I think with that being said, you can, there's, there's times where you can use a little bit of your savings to test these out. If you're using those stop losses and not be afraid of losing your whole savings, right? For example, we've talked about it for the last few days and we'll talk about it again today. There's a possibility that this second stimulus will be released, right? Mm -hmm. We'll kind of go over a little bit for you guys. But don't be afraid to use a little bit of that. Create your stop loss and say, hey, I got $1,200 and I'm willing to lose, you know, $50. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and put 800 in there and use my stop losses efficiently. And it's going to take you a while to lose that full 50. Mm-hmm. It really will. Now, if you have like high interest credit cards or something, don't do this. Pay yeah. your interest down because that 23% is going to add up a lot faster than your 5% gains or 6% gains, right? So you want to pay that down as fast as you can before you start putting money in the market. But if you don't have any debt that has a high interest rate like, and you're paying normal stuff every month and you have extra money that you're like, all right, this is fine. I'm having a little bit of extra and the stimulus doesn't do anything for you. It's just bonus money. Like it's not like you really needed it. It's more just going to be like, Oh sweet. This is convenient. I have an extra $1,200. Then maybe have an idea and be like, Oh, I can take a little bit of this and 
it's not going to affect me. Don't go in there with the mindset of this is the house's money because you'll lose it all. That's the mistake that a lot of people make is that, oh, it's, I'm playing with house money. I'm not, it's not mine. I didn't really earn it. Or if somebody makes 30%, they'll say, oh, well, that 30% I didn't really have before. So I'm just going to, if I lose 20, it's fine. I still made 10, right? Or, or whatever they want to say. Where in reality, you got to start to think, no, that's actually my money. Like I made that trade and I did this and I worked for that 30% and it's mine and I don't want to lose it, you know, and I'm, I'm going to protect the part that I won so that I can keep growing it more. And I, I guess it's a little bit of pride in what you did, but it's, well, it's important, you know. With that being said, it's very likely to have these thoughts and think about them now because you could possibly be receiving that second stimulus. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really... Mm-hmm. The, the information on the last stimulus was released last night. Um, do, do you know? Do you know about it? Yeah. So, and... I mean, we can just run down the everything that is supposed to be in this new bill. So the bill is $2.2 trillion, I think, rather than the original was like 3.4. So what the House Democrats wanted. And then the Trump administration said they would do 1.3. And so there's been a long argument on that. Uh, we're, looks like we're trying to start to get to a compromise here. Uh, and some of the stuff that would be in the new legislation would be that they're going to reinstate the $600 per week, uh, the enhanced unemployment benefit, and that would be through January of 2021. And then the second would be a direct payment of $1,200 again. And so that's going to vary, of course, whether you are single, whether you have a child, whether you have two children, whether you make 90000 versus 120000 uh, All those things will vary slightly, but for the average person, it's going to be average single person, I'd say. It's going to be twelve hundred dollars. Um, there's going to be four hundred thirty-six billion in relief for state and local governments. So, if you are in a place where you don't like your local government and think they waste their money, they're probably going to waste more of their money. Uh, let's be honest here. Uh, so then, there's going to be an authorization for a second round of the paycheck protect our paycheck protection program, and this is for really hard hit small businesses um, and some of the industries out there. I know. The first time around, they were paying out money to these billion-dollar market cap companies, you know, and a lot of those companies sent it back and said, what the heck? We're not a small business. Why are you sending us this money? Like, that's this is for other people. Uh, So I'm I'm curious to see what happens happens there. Um, They're also interesting. They're going to be putting $25 billion into airlines uh, to cover payroll. So if you are thinking about airline stocks, if you're thinking about travel stocks, might be a good time to be looking at that because if they get a, a boost of 25 bill, I mean, that's a pretty good pretty good action going their way. Uh, they're going to be injecting $75 billion of this into the COVID-19 testing and contact tracing efforts. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. Obviously, that's expensive to have to figure out how the heck we're going to fight COVID. Um, and then we got $225 billion is going into education and $57 billion going into childcare. So, I mean, that's kind of cool to see. It is always nice to see that education is getting more than, uh, it's not quite getting as much as the state and local governments, but it is getting a huge portion of this bill. Uh, and so it's also going to be set aside some for rental and mortgage assistance. Uh, there's been a lot of people who haven't been able to pay their rent. There's been a lot of people and and we're starting to see accelerated numbers, I would say in people who can't pay the rent and who are starting to go, uh Oh, 
I had three, four months of savings, but I don't have nine months of savings. And without that $600, it's what it dropped down to 200, right? Yeah. But yeah, without that extra $400 every week, and they're starting to really pinch. People people are getting angry to go back to work now. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they're saying this, this next stimulus could go out faster. So the last one went out on um in within 19 days direct deposits were hitting um they're saying that this one would go out way faster so for example if the house passes this final bill um friday then direct deposits could possibly be sent out by october 12th so that's assuming that senate passes it on the 5th president signs it on the 6th and um then then you would start getting them on the 12th now I think it's it's pretty likely that if we if we get past this on Friday, we're in good shape. Um, I think the Senate will be fine with it. I don't know though. Hopefully, hopefully there's no kickback with the Senate, but who who knows? We'll see. Um, scenario number two: uh, House passes on the ninth, and they're sent out on the nineteenth. Scenario number three. House passes on December 1st, week of December 7th, they're sent out. Um, scenario number four, December 7th, they're passed. Week number or week of December 14th, they're sent out. So I, I think it's going to be either scenario one or two, uh, just because Pelosi has some pressure to pass a bill or she's out of office. They've already kind of threatened her with that. They said, hey, Figure it out, have, lady. Yeah, figure it out. Or we're we're kicking you out because yeah. you're not doing anything. Yeah. And so that put that put a ton of pressure on her to make sure something passes. So could be likely, and we just want to make sure that you guys are smart with it. Yeah. Don't go on Wall Street bets. Yeah. Don't go on Wall Street bets. Don't go crazy with it. Uh, make sure that you guys are studying, learning, trading, practicing, trying new things each day. Uh, we're going to keep putting out new podcasts each day. We're going to keep putting or like Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And we'll keep putting out new videos, new stuff on Instagram. Uh, if you guys haven't been looking at our stuff yet, we are Margin Call Media all over the place on Instagram, Twitter, Wall Street, that's, which is Reddit. Uh, <laughs> uh, and here on the podcast. Uh, I think that's going to be it for us today, 7 o'clock. I think we got to get going. But I've been Nate. I've been Brian. And we have been Margin Call Media. Let's get liquidated.